Hello, y'all, and welcome to episode eight of the Infinity Link podcast. It's your boy, Drew, stepping in with my guy, as always, Don. Yo, Philly, Philly. We are ready to talk about all things Philadelphia Eagles. It's been quite a bit interesting offseason so far. Um, So today's episode, we're going to spend a lot more time on the coaching moves. And uh, Don also got some stuff worked up for us on uh, Jordan Davis. And uh, you have to remind me of the other one, my guy. Uh, Nolan Smith. Yeah, yeah, and Nolan Smith. So we got an interesting show for you today. But, uh, yes, we're going to let Don go ahead and get us kicked off, man. What you got for us, D? All right, man. So the prime focus around this episode is going to be coordinator talk. Because, I mean, we had a lot of changes, not just with, I mean, starters that's on the field, but also in the coaching ranks as well. It's uh, some new faces in the building. And it's some faces in the building that also just got promoted that you may not be as familiar with or possibly may never have even heard of, like myself. Right. So the first one I wanted to talk about, we're going to talk about the defensive coordinator, Sean Desai. Of course, we snatched him on over from uh, the Seahawks, was over there with uh, Pete Carroll doing some interesting things. But we had previously seen him with Chicago, of course. Um. So, of course, everybody's been pretty familiar, I'm pretty sure, um, during the draft and all that stuff. Y'all seen how we got a extra little kick off of uh, some tampering that went on with the Gannon situation and how we always make a win virtually out of anything we do, or at least try to. Right. Try, how he tries to win everything. <laughs> yeah, so contrary to belief, I kind of think, Vangio was our first choice, but mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. after was it the division? No, it was the NFC Championship game where Gannon said he can't was gonna come back. Now I remember yeah. I texted you pretty much immediately after he said it, like, "Hey, this dude saying he's pretty much guaranteed he's coming back." Well, fast forward, fast forward, <laughs> he told us he sold us a dream. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, I can't say that either one of us were real thrilled. I mean. I, I I gave Gannon enough flack for his time here, but I'm also realistic to know that we had the top defense and, you know, there was a lot of good things about his tenure here, so I won't throw him completely under the bus. But uh, I'm not going to say I'm that upset that he hoodwinked us. Um, and, hey, we got some draft picks out of it, so do your thing, man. <laughs> yeah, and Gannon, just know we see you very soon, so just keep it light in the media because uh, I believe you got to come to Philly. You gotta come I back. think he does. I think so. <laughs> so keep keep it light in the uh in the media and all that because we remember everything. We'll hold up signs, we'll greet you at the gates. Uh I mean, you're in the building for years. You you kind of know how it works with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll greet him at the hotel room once he gets off the plane, actually. Yeah. So once he like said that, I think that's what gave like uh Vangel to win to kind of like you know go with the Dolphins and like kind of looking at other opportunities because he's like well I mean they're not about to fire a guy they just got to the Super Bowl with as a defensive right I'm pretty sure <laughs> so right I don't know though after how our defense performed in that Super Bowl it would have been justified I don't I know at least a good quarter of our fan base wouldn't have been upset to let him go after the Super Bowl I feel like he would have bought himself another year just making it to the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he wasn't going anywhere. Um, I remember when it first came out, it was speculated that 
how he set up the interview for him. Um, you know, there was that talk, but obviously, as we're finding out, that wasn't exactly the case. Um, it does sound like that while he was preparing for the Super Bowl, he was also, and I mean, that anybody and any coach or anything is probably going to take that meeting as well if you're a coordinator. So I'm not going to get too mad at him, but like I said, I'm thankful for the draft pick. So, hey, if the next one wants to step up and do the same thing, you go right for it, man. Just make sure we win this time. Yes, sir. So a little more into like Sean Desai, the Vic Vangio and the Jonathan Gannon vortex that we have. Uh, I think Desai is a blessing in disguise. Um, Because originally, I mean, we didn't choose Vangio, obviously. We simply had to hire him to help Gannon run his scheme. That's why I right. was a consultant. Uh, I mean, of course, it never hurts to have somebody with that experience around. Um, that definitely never hurts, especially the guy who's pretty much birthed your scheme anyway. So nice right. to, to be under, not a guy that's, you know, stepping all over you, but who can kind of be like, well, hey, this is what I would normally do in this situation. This is how I would line it mm-hmm. up. This is basically where it's come from. Just kind of giving you pointers here and there. Yep. If nothing else, just to poke the holes in it and, and things that you're doing that, you know, like you said, that he would have done differently or, you know, just things that he saw, you know, reactions to it, how they knew his play. I mean, because come on, in the second half, it's like the Chiefs knew every formation that we were in every single time we got in it. And that's gone a lot to his lack of adjustments. And people have felt all year long that, he wasn't the greatest adjustments after halftime, and a lot of times after halftime, offenses started to score on us, which is exactly what happened to us in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I mean, also, he was going against Andy Reid. I mean, what hasn't Reid right. point? Right. I was like, you give this guy any prep time, I mean, he's like Batman. I mean, what's his record coming off of bias? No longer undefeated, but I'm pretty no, sure – yeah, like 10 and one <laughs> yeah like i think he's lost one game speaking of which i mean if y'all i didn't know if y'all catch the schedule release or not this year you guys know me i'm on it the minute, the minute it came out i had the info beforehand uh me and you was texting exchanging beforehand but uh yeah we um definitely uh got them coming too uh after a bye week um or i'm sorry we go out there that's right we go out there after the bye week this year and the bye week is for both teams just for us and for the Chiefs, they'll both be coming off a of bye. So Sirianni's record off the bye so far is pretty decent. I don't think he's lost yet. Um, I might be incorrect there, but yeah, uh, we get to face Andy. Uh, what is that week? Eleven, I want to say. What week tens are by? I can't remember exactly. I don't have the schedule in front of me. Yes, sir. That game, we're both coming off buys, right? Yeah, yeah, both of us. Yeah, we'll be coming off a of bye, and Andy will come off a of bye. So. That I'm sure that'll be a lot of the talk heading into that week. Um, is you know, at least Andy's record off the bye. You hear about it every time they're on the bye week, but then you know, so I look forward to that being a, a hell of a ball game, you know, as long as injuries don't derail either team's chances. Uh, and that is the the start of a brutal schedule for us. I'm sure we'll go over the schedule in another episode, but yeah, uh, that's the uh start or the right into the first couple games of a huge stretch for us this year. Yes, sir. And going back to Lutonwa, Desai may be a blessing in disguise. I mean, Desai's been under the tutelage of, I mean, he knows Fangio's scheme, Pete Carroll's scheme. I mean, two good defensive coaches right there in their own right. Foundation's already said as far as the scheme and the players that they want, so I think it was an easy hire. 
Um, maybe not our favorite or the one we wanted to see at the time, but I'm uh, with you on that one. I'm really excited to see how he, this defense performs. I don't think he got enough time in Chicago and, and on that team. I think the best part of that team his one year in Chicago was that defense. So I'm really excited to see what he can do. Yes, sir. Another thing, I mean, this is really not – I guess it is rumored he hasn't coached me, but uh, Vic Fangio has never really been known as a player's coach and uh, nah. those locker rooms before. I feel like he's one of those coaches you get hurt, he throws a salt tablet at you or something and tells you get up. Right. Well, you know, as uh, it's turn, this is a complete player's league. Um, as you find in most of the sports right now. And, I mean, we have – you hear it from all the players. Sirianni is a player's coach. Uh, you know, with all the parting shots some of our players that have left us have done, you none of them have taken a shot at Sirianni. Uh, they all speak to him in the highest regard. So, um, maybe it's – who knows? Maybe they're playing devil's advocate and trying to get a couple of them around the organization because, of course, another coach that we're going to cover uh, has some spotty history with one of our cornerbacks. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah, Fangio isn't a player's coach. He's lost the locker room. Desai, I've heard nothing but positive things. He's loved as a coach, mm-hmm. um, player's coach, and, I mean, kind of easy to get along with. And in today's NFL, that's kind of a good thing because if you start losing players, I mean, there it's a brotherhood inside that locker room. So, I mean, once you start to lose one, if you don't reel that one back in, it can get ugly real quick in your – Time in town can be very short just along that line because people aren't going to go out there and die for you. Right, right. And that's all you want from your coaches is, is players that will put it all on the line for you. And like we mentioned before with Jalen Hurts, you don't want to disappoint those kind of coaches. So you're going to give extra effort, and it's going to come easily. You're not going to have to coach that in or be yelling at them all the time for it. They're just going to give it. Yes, sir. Um, as influential also as Fangio is, he isn't really known as a teacher, which something Sean Desai is very well known for. Because, I mean, after he came from Bears to the Seahawks, um, Seahawks had to change some things. Um, and they struggled early for the most of 2022 um, when they moved away from Bear to mostly like the 2-4 and 4-2 fronts. Um, and Desai ran these fronts a lot in Chicago, um, something that influenced on the 22 season. And if you all didn't notice, that Seahawks mm-hmm. defense did get better as the season went on. Absolutely. And that so, was, uh, that was about to like line, that right? safety. Okay, okay. Was he, he was D-line coach over there last year, right? Or was it secondary? Technically, he was associate head coach. Associate, okay, okay. I couldn't remember. Somebody had talked to me about it. Maybe it was you that was telling me the unit that he was basically in charge of last year. You could see the they were like the weak link of the defense at the start of the year. So I figured it was the defensive line and how they got better as the year went on. So, yeah, uh, continue, though, my man. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, nah, man, you're fine, man. But, yeah, uh, if he can improve that Seahawks defense and what they were without that all-pro safety that they had in uh, my man Jamal Adams – a leader, I mean, obviously one of the best safeties in the game who can step down in that box and not have hitting at all. Um, is that was an incredible job he did to reel that team back in and kind of have them competing. I mean, this is also going to like just the bond that that team had. 
I mean, Geno Smith came back as the most improved player. I know that's on offense, but this team had a lot right. to overcome. I mean, they lost their starting running back, who's now with us, Rashad Penny. He started out strong, and then Kenneth right. took over, and he almost run. I mean, ran. He almost ran away with Rookie of the Year. Right. But that team overcame a lot, and I mean, they're competitive, and I mean, we see how they finished last year. So, salute to the entire coaching staff. I'm glad we was able to get Shine Desai from them. Right. Over here. Player development, man. I mean, think about and, and think about that for Pete Carroll's whole tenure that he's been there, man. He gets, you know, players that aren't, you know, the top draft picks that you see in the draft. Yeah. And he develops them, man. I mean, look, they what Tariq Woolen was a fifth round pick this year, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, he what run one rookie of the year, I believe, on defense at least, um, for the for the NFC. So I mean, their whole coaching staff, and that's why I definitely don't mind anytime you get somebody from a staff like that, because if nothing else, they have influence on how they do and the things they talk about. And, you know, obviously they sit around and talk about things and share stories and things like that. So, I mean, if anything else, it's a, it's nothing but a positive influence they can go on as players. Now, of course, he can go out and our defense doesn't play right this year with the schedule that we have. Uh, and you're going to see people light him up and start calling for his head, but I really do like the perspective just kind of how things are looking out for him. Um, and I feel like even if we do have another top years of defense, I don't feel like he's going to be somebody that's gone in the next year or two. I feel like he'll be around for at least three, maybe four years. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. Um, and, I mean, going also into the side, I mean, there's really not a lot to pick from him. Um, I mean, when we look at, like, his strengths, of course his versatility has stood out. Again, Fangio's his mentor. Um, he's been with three defensive regimes in Chicago before getting the actual gig, defensive coordinator gig there. <clears throat> of course, he's getting yeah. pressure packages to get after the quarterback when his only real threat to win a one-on-one was Robert Quinn back then. Um, so he managed to disguise coverages on occasions to hide the awful play from his nickelbacks in Chicago. And little-known secret, when Chicago was clearing house with that GM, uh, Tressman, you know, uh, mm -hmm. quarterback Trubisky and all them. Yeah. Even the coach. The side survived all that. So, I mean, that's a test. I forgot about coach. that. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. They left him with Nagy's staff until he finally got the exit Nagy's last year. And that's just because I think what they had another new GM. Or, I, man, I don't know. I might be speaking out of place there, but. Chicago is obviously on the fast track to rebuild right now with what they've been doing in the offseason. And if I'm not mistaken, they have somebody that used to be in our front office, either as a position under Howie or something like that. So I know the Browns do. I know the Browns have got um, Brandon Brown or something like that that was under our staff with Howie as well. So, you know, it, it's, we're building a, quite the little tree um, out here in the NFL as well, which is always good to see. Yes, sir. So, I mean, if we truly had to look at the sign, like, say, a weakness, honestly, the only thing we could say at this point is what his experience, experience. as a player caller. Yeah, and experience as a play caller or in that position. I mean, he's never – he's only held that position one time, like you said. So he's not completely inexperienced. It's not a, his first time doing these things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that team didn't go very far. They missed the playoffs. And, you know, so as far as, like, big game experience, things like that, ego, you know, those are the things that we'll really have to watch out for him because, I mean, the players are in place. 
Um, and it's all about, you know, I, and I'm interested to see everybody's different, you know, whether it's what they're going to call in certain situations or, or anything like that, but everybody's going to have a little bit of a different wrinkle to them. So you might see a lot of things that we're familiar with, but what I'm most looking forward to from our defense is the exotic stuff. Um, they like to, and they've done this a lot in Seattle. They disguise coverages more than anything. They show one thing and then do another. That's what started making that defense mildly successful towards the end of last year when they didn't have anything else, um, you know, as far as defensively to lean on besides disguising coverages, which, you know, helped them out a lot. So that's, I, I'm really interested to see where we go with him um, and the differences that we'll see early on this season, because they should be, you know, we'll, we'll see how fast they are. Yes, sir. And I'm excited about actually the lack of experience that he has because seeing what he did with Chicago and then the help he uh, put in with Seattle, I mean, just based on off the years, he's actually been in control of things. This guy probably hasn't even found like his groove yet, which honestly sounds kind of scary. Right, right. It was like he, he, he doesn't have the full tool belt and it was like, okay. He he can add some more infinity stones to his uh gauntlet there, man. So I'm definitely excited to see what's coming from him and some of yep. the assistance that he's brought on the side with him. Um, Absolutely. So I'm immediately moving over to the next one. Nick's Nichols coach. We brought in Ronnell Williams. Um, he was hired this offseason. Um, prior to joining our staff, he spent five years working as a defensive quality control with the Chicago Bears where he coached with Sean Desai. So there's some familiarity between the two. That's yes, his guys. Yeah, that's somebody he requested on his staff. Yes, sir. And in 2021, uh, Williams supported a Bears defense that led the NFLs in sacks per attempt, which was about 10.3%. And they totaled the fourth most sacks, 48 overall, including a franchise record, 18 and a half sacks. Uh, by second team Associated Press All Pro and Pro Bowl defensive end Robert Quinn. Chicago also ranked third in passing defense that year uh, at 191.6 yards per game and sixth in total defense at 31, uh, 316.7 yards per game. Now, if anyone without using Google can name me another defender on that team besides like Robert Quinn, um, I give you a $5 gift card somewhere, but. That's impressive uh, what those two paired up to do with just right. I mean, the star of like Robert Quinn, and that's pretty much it. And uh, right. you may have had a young Roquan Smith in his first yeah, or Roquan. second year in the league. That, yeah. But other than that, I mean, you, I mean, think about it. All the players that you could name are gone. Briggs was obviously gone. Peanut Tillman was obviously long gone. Um, you know, and you even think about recently. Um, I can't remember the defensive tackle that they had Hicks. I think it was his name, but he's been gone yeah. for a while. Um, you know, so yeah, to do what he did and to to put those numbers up on those defenses, man. I mean, they, they can't do nothing but improve what what we've been wanting to see in Philadelphia. And I know we didn't touch on this, and we're past the side a little bit. But what a press conference that he had, too, man. To to if there was a way to win over the city. Uh, in your first press conference, I think that was the correct way for you to do it. So excited for that man and the and the baggage he's bringing along with him. It should be exciting. Hey, man, if someone can tell you how to blow a press conference, I think it would be uh, Nick Sirianni's opening press. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. It was like, don't do what I did. <laughs> right, right. So, 
You know, we got two ends of the spectrum there. I mean, and, and think about that. Everybody and their mama swore just off of that press conference that the Eagles had made a bad hire. We didn't know what we were doing. We were going to be in for a long, rocky tenure with Howie at the helm. I mean, God, I just remember that time everybody was on Howie bad back then. Uh, you know, and now look at him. He, he He's the prince of the city. There's not a place that he goes in or around Philadelphia right now where he's probably paying for much of anything right now. Yeah, man. I just think Sirianni was uh, a little nervous when he got up there. He probably didn't write anything and try to wing it, and that was probably the wrong thing to do for our crowd. So. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, hey, man, think, we about, love you, think about the first time you had to get up and give a speech for somebody, you know. And I still remember my first big speech for class. I dropped all my note cards, and they got scrambled up because my dang hands were shaking so bad and so my whole speech went from like middle to back to front <laughs> and uh, I, got, I got like a d plus because i think the teacher felt bad for me uh but yeah so i mean I, i'm not gonna clown somebody and we all you know and i'm obviously more than glad uh that not only is he great at press conferences now um but that you know hey that was that was a learning experience for him Yes, sir. Going more into uh, Ronnell Williams, the Nickelback's coach. Um, yeah, during that 2020 campaign, Williams also helped Chicago finish fifth in red zone defense at 54.7% and eighth and third down defense at 38.1%. So that's one thing we want to do is get off the field on third downs for sure. Right. In his first year with the Bears in 2019, Williams aided a unit that registered top 10 rankings and total defense at 324.1 yards per game, which was eighth. Uh, passing defense at 222.1 yards per game, which was ninth. And rushing defense at 102 yards per game, which was ninth at that time. So before his time in Chicago, Williams spent the 2017 and 18 seasons as a graduate assistant and defensive analyst at Temple. He also served as a linebackers coach at the uh, at Whitner during the 2016 campaign. He's a he's a native of Chester, Pennsylvania. Williams played collegiately at Westchester as a linebacker, where he led the team in tackles from 2011 to 2013. He earned his bachelor's degree in exercise science sciences in 2014 and obtained a graduate degree in higher education from Temple in 2018. So another Temple oh, guy. God. Hometown guy. Yes, sir. So that was like right around the time what Hassan left. Yeah. Yeah. Had to be, I think. What when, when did you say was his last year at Temple? Uh last year at Temple was uh 2018. 2019 was his first year with the Bears. Okay. So Hassan left and what Hassan's like a is he double digit in years as a veteran now? No, I think he's only like what eight, maybe nine year vet coming into this year, and I could be way off there too. Um, but yeah, it seems like to me that that what you just said adds up. I'd have to go look on my phone real quick, but I'm pretty sure they should have been there at the same time. Yeah, because I uh, okay, so yeah, Reddick left. He was drafted 2017. Okay. So they crossed paths. Golly. <laughs> yes. It's only been six years. See, I told you I was way off. I was over giving him eight, nine years. But I mean, and that's how he plays, man. 
you know, and you feel like with the numbers he puts up that he's been in the league for, I mean, I, I remember him when he was in uh, Arizona and thinking then like, damn, he's beast. Yeah, man. Uh, the next person I want to talk about was Matt Patricia. Obviously he's a well more name, well more, uh, well known name on this list out of all the other people that have either got promoted or hired. Um, I love that we have his mind in the locker room. Mm-hmm. I'm glad the locker room as a whole was able to accept this hire because Sirianni definitely had to do some talking around the locker room to make sure this was okay, especially right. when play. So, I mean, senior defensive assistant, um, Drew. Uh, Isn't that what Fangio helped. did, basically, last year, kind of? what Patricia's role is this year, you know, like almost like quality control or, you know, senior assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, he's our this year and it doesn't help, you know, to have an extra set of eyes. Now um, the correlations to defenses and, and where they fit in, that'll be the interesting thing to see. Um, but it, I mean, even if they are different schematic wise, you know, you, it's better to see another set of eyes on something. So, I, I'm I'm glad that Sirianni obviously did his due diligence, and I don't think there would have been any way they hired him if there would have been any desertion in the locker room over it. Um, I mean, obviously, we know it's well noted that Slay um, said what he said about him during his time in Detroit, and that he didn't feel like he cared for the players or things at all. Um, so, you know, as a quality or as an assistant, you don't even know how much interaction he really will have with the players. I think it's more with the coaches, so. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, man. Uh, Another tidbit I was able to actually didn't notice this myself. I don't know how this actually flew past both of our eyes, but I was watching a little Dan Cilio earlier, Big Seals, uh, Jakeep Sports. Drew, do you know a division that we actually have on our record this year? Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to go ahead and hint towards it. So, first game, we play the Patriots, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We also play the, the AFC South. AFC East. East, that's right. Sorry. I don't know why I said South. That's where the Dol- – oh, because we play the Dolphins and shit. That's why I said that. And guess who's familiar with the AFC East? Matt Patricia. Patricia. <laughs> so, and for us to obviously have them in the first game, yeah, that makes a lot of – and especially since wasn't he recently – I mean, just a year or two ago, he was there, wasn't he? So he's recently let go by them. So, yeah, it could be a good revenge game for him. And, uh, yeah, like you said, he's very familiar with the NFC or AFC East, and he's also familiar with the NFC North, which we got a couple teams from each on our schedule this year. (laughs) Yes, sir. So very familiar with the AFC East. So he's had, I mean, not only his own game plans to pull from, but also sweater vests game plans to pull from because all yeah. of them been together preparing for those divisional games over the course of the years. So not only, I mean, has Matt Patricia like been like an offensive coordinator in the AFC East, of course he has that defensive experience coming as well. So, I mean, honestly, he has experience on both sides of the field, which I think will be a, definitely resourceful for uh, Brian Johnson, Sean Desai, and – all of our assistants to pull from. So underrated move. That's something that slipped past my mind. I don't know if this was on Howie's mind, but if yeah. it was another catch. thing. 
I was over here in La La Land when you asked me the question. I'm sitting over here thinking, I know it's not the NFC North because we played them last year. Um, so, yeah, good catch, my man. Good catch. See, y'all, this is the in-depth and analysis that y'all don't get everywhere else. That's why you listen to this podcast. Yes, sir. Next on the list, we got Mr. DJ Elliott, who is now our linebackers coach. 23 years of collegiate experience. Um, this will be Elliot's first NFL coaching job. Um, he will continue to call Lincoln Financial Field his home stadium after serving as Temple's defensive coordinator and outside linebacker. Another hometown guy. Yes, sir. And he knows his way around the link, so we ain't got to worry about him getting lost. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh so, um, Man, you know, I, Big Dom ain't letting that happen anyway. There ain't nobody getting lost on them in the Lincoln <laughs> that's on our staff or our players, yes, sir. And then the American Athletic Conference, um, while Elliot was obviously the defensive coordinator, they led the conference with 38 sacks and ranked second in passing yards allowed at 198.6 yards per game in Elliot's one season on Broad Street. Prior coaching stops include Kansas, Florida State, Miami, Colorado, Kentucky, and now Elliott has been a defensive coordinator for nine seasons. At Kansas, Eagles linebacker Kyron Johnson was second team all Big 12 selection by Pro Football Focus in 2021 after recording career highs in several key categories, including tackles, which he has 61, sacks, which he has six, six and a half, and forced fumbles, he had four. Johnson forced 40 QB pressures and did not commit a penalty that year. Elliott also played linebacker at Wyoming and started his coaching career as a grad assistant at his alma mater in 1999. So a lot of experience there, hometown guy. And, uh, I mean, these are probably guys we're probably going to see end up getting defensive coordinator positions and just keep kind of going out and, cause this res- revolving door in Philadelphia, which we hate, but I mean, it's a good thing when you're seeing your assistants constantly get called up. You're obviously doing something right in-house. Facts. Yes, sir. Next person on the list I have is Tavor Johnson, former Temple defensive coordinator and linebacker. Um, He's the assistant DB coach. So Tavor Johnson more about him i don't even know where i actually want to start with this guy that's actually a lot to speak on um (laughs) he previously served as an assistant coach for the cleveland browns and las vegas raiders of the nfl and spent 23 years coaching in the college football ranks um he attended college football at wittenberg university from 90 to 93 where he was back-to-back all-american and all-north coast atlantic conference defensive player of the year uh, born in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I mean, as a coach, he's coached at Wittenberg, uh, Milliken, Notre Dame, Miami, Ohio, Cleveland Browns, Miami, Ohio again, defensive backs coach at Ohio State, um, assistant head coach at Arkansas. He's been at Purdue. He's been at Temple. He's been back to Ohio State, Oakland and Las Vegas Raiders, Eastern Michigan, and now he's with us. So, Another guy with a ton of experience where he can pull from many different coaches and kind of put his own spin on different things. Um, And, of course, he's played, so there's always that experience. Yes, sir. Last guy I got on the defensive side, at least I think there was a lot of turnover on that side, 
We got right. Michael D'Angelo. Uh, he was a former Jackson State assistant coach and defensive quality control as well. So um, he was down there with Coach Prime. I wonder why Prime didn't try to take him, but, I mean, if the NFL is calling, you don't really hang up or right. <clears throat> right, exactly. You know, maybe that's why he didn't go with him because he got this offer. Yes, sir. Weirdly, um, he also coached the tight ends um, and receivers, but he's going to join our team as a defensive quality control position. So before his time uh, with the Gamecocks, D'Angelo held a similar role with Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. He also spent time in Illinois and Ole Miss as a quarterback's analyst. In total, he brings 16 years of Division I and D2 collegiate coaching experience to the staff, holding roles on both sides of the football. Most recently in 2022, he helped Jacksonville State uh, lead the A-Sun in scoring, passing yards per completion on their way to winning the conference title. And despite his impressive resume as an offensive mind, the Eagles are likely adding D'Angelo to draw upon his time with Arizona, where he coached the defensive backs and safeties, seemingly specializing in his ability to manufacture turnovers during his tenure in Tucson. The Wildcats ranked top 20 in forced fumbles or interceptions on three separate occasions. And from 2004 to 2016, three Arizona defensive backs were drafted, including former Eagle. Willie Will Parks. So, wow. as a former quarterback, D'Angelo will provide a unique perspective to the defensive staff, which has historically yep. added analysts that specialize in both sides of the football in what assumedly will be an innovative defense featuring a long list of coverages and fronts. The Eagles also continue their trend of adding collegiate coaching talent to Sean Desai's staff. So, I think having somebody who's been a quarterback one, they're going to know, like, blocking assignments. They're going to know, like, uh, yeah, so, like, your pass protections, all that good stuff. So that's something he can point out, like, in a defensive room. People really don't think, wow, as an offensive guy kind of being over in the defense, it's because he sees things that the defensive minds don't. Like, okay, I can see this and see that, but this guy's actually been in the room. He's actually played the position and kind of really knows how the offense runs. So there's going to be plenty of things he's going to be able to spot and point out on film a lot faster than some other coaches just from that experience alone. So I think this is definitely going to be an underrated hire for us. Right. I agree with you, man. Yes, sir. And kind of skip around. Let's see. Of course, on the offensive side, we got Mr. Brian Johnson. He has that connection with, of course, Hertz and Hertz's father. Mm-hmm. We've definitely spoke about that previously. Um, he's been on the cover of NCAA football. Um, yeah. Okay, I need to hurry up and bring that back. We're getting bored out here. We, <laughs> j- whatever you got to do to get it done, just just make it happen. Every time I see, I've a- seen, they had a little snippet drop recently that said that players can opt in or opt out. You know, so if they choose to opt out, then they'll just be a custom player or whatever. But if they opt in, which will be kind of cool instead of you having to download the roster and all the stuff you used to have to do to check it to make sure nobody screwed it up um you know you sit there and and they'll be the actual player will be in the game and and they'll get paid for it which is what should have happened a long time ago shout out to ed o'bannon and y'all need to be thanking that man every chance you get yes sir 
And before Brian Johnson came on, um, I forgot what his position was last year. He was a quarterback's coach. My apologies. Before he came on with us, um, one of the reasons he was an attractive candidate for Sirianni when he was named head coach of the Eagles after the 2020 season was a job he did as Florida's play caller in 2020. When Brian Johnson was um, at Florida, Kyle Trask threw for 4,283 yards, 43 touchdowns. And the Gators ranked number one in the BCS in passing offense and number nine in total offense with over 500 yards per game. Because he's been here the last two years, I mean, Johnson had already made a tremendous had a, a tremendous understanding of Sirianni's scheme and the Eagles personnel, as well as a fantastic relationship with Hertz. Um, so that's always been there. Um, him coaching in the SEC, um, him having that connection with Hertz. And Sirianni, again, just reaching down to the college ranks to pull, obviously, right. a great coach who's honestly probably um, going to be a head coach at some point. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. I fully expect that. And, I mean, some people were shocked that he didn't get a coordinator offer elsewhere this season, but I think it's probably because most knew what was in the works and that we were going to be the first option to promote him. Um, and I mean, I remember when the day that uh, Shane Steichen left me and you both texted each other with, with who we wanted and Brian Johnson was the top of our list. Yes, sir. Um, another thing he may also be able to help out is actually with the division rival of ours. Um, prior to coaching at Florida, Johnson was the of, uh, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Houston in 2017 and a quarterbacks coach at Mississippi State from 2014 to 2016. So he coached Mr. Dakery Prescott. Mm -hmm. So he spent some time with him. So I'm pretty sure he remembers some things that makes him tick or, you know, just coaching him for that amount of time and seeing him grow. I'm pretty sure there's some things in his game that you can say he's not comfortable with, maybe as far as coverages, even up to this day, even though right. obviously tremendous strides since his day at uh, Mississippi State. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it's not going to be the exact same, but you, I mean, there's a little quirks about people and things like that, and, you know, hey, when somebody, uh, when somebody gets happy feet under pressure, it's not, that's a mental thing, that's not something that uh, is easily coachable, mm. uh, you know, a lot of times they put these guys with shrinks and all kinds of stuff to help get rid of the yips and stuff like that, so. I mean, Pierre Scott obviously has improved as a passer. If you remember him from his Mississippi State days, it was primarily a run-based offense with him helping lead the way. Yes, he did put up some numbers, I believe, throwing the football. That's why he was in a Heisman finalist competition uh, and, you know, dang near won a Heisman one year, um, you know. so But he's obviously made great improvements as far as his abilities as a passer. But anytime that you have knowledge of somebody, I mean, like, even if it's something that you can tell the defense, you know, something about his childhood or his past or something for them to get in his head with, there, there's numerous amounts of options that you have when you get these familiarity with these players. And like you were saying, what better coaches to help coach these players now that the league is now in a youth development stage and you're starting to see the younger crop of players take over in Infinity Link. A Philadelphia Eagles podcast. Your host Drew and Don. Um, before our cutoff, we were talking about um, Brian Johnson, his experience coaching with Dak Prescott, and how he might be able to point out a few quirks, quirks within Dak Prescott's game. Maybe he wiggles his left foot every time there's a bootleg. There's something I'm pretty sure he'll be able to help with to give to the defense. Yep. 
that he's noticed while coaching Dak, of course. So of course, you try to coach that out of your players for, like, not dead giveaways because eventually somebody's going to spot it on film. Right. But, um, yeah, Brian Johnson, offensive coordinator. Um, the last assistant I want to talk about is Alex Tanney, who was promoted to quarterback coach. Um, he was a longtime NFL backup. He's played under approximately 12 different coaches and 12 different offensive coordinators. So there's plenty of different experiences to pull from. And, I mean, he was an NFL backup. So, I mean, he was doing a lot of coaching and holding clipboards. Uh, yep. No slight to him as a professional because, I mean, <laughs> not everyone's even going to make it to the pros. So making it and even lasting that long as a backup, obviously people right. are around for a reason. Um. He's already pretty much had an introduction to the QB room. Um, so he already has the connection with like Jalen Hurts. Um, right. He's was, been around the building, right? That was a, a within promotion, wasn't it? He was on our staff last year. Yeah. And weirdly enough, I think he backed up Mariota at one point. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I'm going like, to have one to of his first couple of years in Tennessee. That might be. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to fact check myself on that. But I want to say he was also Mariota's backup. But uh, actually, let me see. Let's see. So first time he signed with the Titans was in 2014. Second stint was in. Yeah, he definitely would have been because what they drafted Mariota in. Shit, was that 2015 or 2016? Uh, I want to say it was the 14 season, honestly. That's what I thought. So, yeah, that's the year that he signed. Let me do here. I'll look. I got my phone. Where's Mariota? Yeah, so that's another interesting thing. Yeah, Mariota was, what is that? Looks like 2015. Yep, second overall, 2015. So, during yeah, 2014. Yep. Yep. Let's see where he was drafted. So during Tanny's second stint with the Titans, uh, yeah, he backed up Mariota. So, I mean, he already has a connection there with him, too. So that's, I don't know if they do things like this on purpose or like how it happens. I mean, Brian Johnson with the connection to Jalen and the father, uh, Alex Tanny, now the quarterback coach. Um, obviously, right. he had that connection with Mariota, all these Temple guys that were bringing in. I don't know. I like the culture we're building. I mean, hey, we we say, <laughs> and I mean, even Lurie was on recently talking about how it's a family thing, you know, like they they are really trying to build that culture of a big family because I think they've looked and they learned, you know, that's how the dynasties have, have been successful. And by no means am I calling us a dynasty yet. I'm just talking about that's how you build them, um, you know, so and like you mentioned and we touched on earlier, when you have that special connection with somebody, you're going to go extra hard, number one, because you don't want them to lose their job. You know, Jalen is obviously going to put his, his major work in. And, you know, if you've heard the comment recently from AJ, he said it's only made him work harder and more determined. Uh, the money he just got paid. Well, now he's got uh, a good family friend as an offensive coordinator. And he's either, you know, if the Eagles come out this year and are crap on offense, offense and Jalen has one of his worst years he's obviously not going to keep his job for very long 
Um, so, you know, that kind of family element where, you know, you're going to try harder for family, you know, think about that. If, if what's riding on it and things like that, you got, you know, if you could tell me or you that, uh, somebody that's a family to us, whose job was riding on how good we did our job. Well, wouldn't that make you go extra hard at work? You know, we both got kids, so we know what that is. Yes, sir. Um, let's see. To kind of skip to some more, I wouldn't say this is a fun topic, but, you know, just some more practical things we talked about. Um, AJ Brown had a recent scare um, at the autism challenge on the bike ride where he was almost hit by a car. I'm pretty sure every fan has seen the video. If not, just yeah. look on Twitter, look on YouTube. Um, it's, oh, it's all over now. It's on ESPN and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. Him actually being hit by the car. He actually just drops his phone. So AJ Brown is perfectly fine. Um, I tell you, who wouldn't have been if it would have went out any other way? Whoever was driving that car, <laughs> they would have been uh, public enemy number one in the city of Philadelphia if he would have even clipped AJ Brown. And honestly, <clears throat> just as an Eagles fan, I recommend junking the car and just getting completely rid of it. Because yeah. there was a glimpse of the car in the video. Fans got a steal shot. Just, just get rid of the car. Um, Eagles fans are very obnoxious. I just hate to see them. Watch, watch who it was be a diehard, too. Watch who it was be an absolute. I mean, because you know how it is in the city. They are absolutely, you know, you're. it's a born into culture up there. Of course, we see a couple weirdos on Twitter and stuff that, are from the area that are Cowboys fans. I won't give them that airtime time of day, um, you know. But, <laughs> I mean, think about that. You're probably a diehard Eagles fan yourself, and you're now going to be known, especially because I believe they're a front license plate state. Uh, you're now going to be known if anybody sees you around. And says, hey, that's the dude who almost hit A.J. Brown, or that's the chick who almost hit A.J. You know, yeah, like you said, go on and get rid of that car, buddy. If you hadn't traded it in yet, go on and get rid of it. Yeah, just just junk it. Just immediately get rid of it. Um, I don't know. Just just don't drive the car around the city anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man! Oh, I saw like I didn't see it on live as it happened, but I saw it a few short minutes because you know how Eagles fan base is. Anything that gets blown up gets blown up quick and in a hurry. It makes its rounds and. My goodness, I saw it and I was like, oh shit, he did almost get hit. I mean, I, you know, I've been there before. If you've ever dropped your phone while you've been riding the bike, and uh, you already know what that is. <laughs> you know, not everybody almost being hit, but I mean, like we, like you said, though, thank God he's okay. And it's something more of a funny thing. And of course, I think he mentioned that he thought he saw a star on the license plate. <laughs> it could have been one of those fans we were talking about there in Philly. I think he just want to stir up some mess, man. AJ's a silly guy, man. I'm glad he's okay. Uh, actually, random stat I just pulled up. AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, year one together. 183 combined receptions. 2,692 combined yards. 75 combined catches over 20 yards. And 18 wow. combined touchdowns. Year two should be even scarier. As Jalen Hurts continues to improve, Devontae right. obviously continues to improve, and AJ Brown just continues to perfect his craft. 
It's going to be, I mean, man, what do you think? You think they put up bigger numbers than that this year? You think we're right around the same production from them? Or do they have a decrease? I kind of have a weird prediction with our receiving unit. This also includes uh, Goddard. I think we're going to have three 1,000-yard receivers this year. Oh, that would be nasty. And I know I sent it to you earlier today, my man. They aren't talking about, and I mean, I'm what I'm really glad about is you hear that they're all working together already in the voluntary periods when they don't have to, when the guys can still be taking that last family vacation before the season gets started. And, you know, there, there's a lot of veterans like in Dominic and Sue, you've heard him say recently, like his big deal is he don't want to take part in training camp. So he'll, if you want him to play for you, you'll see him when the season starts. He'll be around the last week of preseason. So, um, you know, the fact that the fact that these guys are already together working, one of the things I do remember about our uh, former quarterback's successful tenure when it was successful here um, <clears throat> is that the offseason before we had our Super Bowl run, um, the guys were all out on his farm. Um, I can't yeah. remember exactly where it was, but they all went out to his farm for like a two week long uh just workout session they got up on the morning every day and we're working out together and spending that time together getting to know each other and things like that and you know we know we don't need a lot of that with our wide receiver room we only added one new uh piece to it this year um so of course we'll want to get a day up to speed um you know but my goodness to know that they're working that well <clears throat> already and to hear what we've been hearing about quez watkins so far about i've heard that he's bulked up um, you know, he's added some some weight there, which can only help him get better. We just hope it doesn't take any way any of that blazing speed that he has. Um, you know, and him being it just shows he's committed, you know what I mean, and that he's clearly already in working on his craft. And uh, you know, we're still months away from kickoff and, and here these guys are uh out here every day while we're at work, they're out here working too. Yes, sir. Uh did you see uh any of uh D Hop's interview come on today? Uh-uh, I didn't see it. All right, so he was interviewing – Um, ah, oh, crap, I forgot who he was interviewing with. But they made him list his five quarterbacks he like to play for. So, number one on his list, if I remember correctly, was – Mahomes, got to be. No, he said Ooh. that was like a dead giveaway. He listed Josh Allen first. Okay, okay. Hertz was the second quarterback he named. So, Howie? DeAndre, okay Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins says he wants to play for a quarterback that's hungry and a team with a great defense. And, I mean, uh, we fit the bill. <laughs> we fit the bill. Right, right. There's been a lot of that this offseason. There's been a lot of players that got asked about their potential destinations. And I mean, what a what a time it is to hear, I mean, almost every big name. I mean, it's a thing amongst Eagles fans, you know, that we commonly, whenever somebody gets released, and it'll happen here over the next couple of weeks as things get start ramped up and players start getting post-June first dead cuts and everything like that. Um <clears throat> You know, you, you'll see us start to have those conversations on, oh, should we bring this person in? Should we bring that person in? Um, and it's nice to hear that, at least as far as the big names go, uh, they all want to come suit up for the green. Um, so, you know, everybody's excited wanting to play with Jalen Hurts. They like the offense that we have, and they know that our defense is formidable once again this year. 
Yes, sir. So to finish off his list, he's named Josh Allen first, uh, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson as quarterbacks uh, that he'd like to play for basically today. So um, him leaving out his quarterback who's currently injured and is going to miss a couple games and coming back, I'm not sure what kind of chemistry that's going to create in the locker room. But, I mean, he's an honest person. I mean – Hopefully that puts a spark under uh, Kyler Murray and he can earn that money he got. Right. I mean, man, I I think everybody talks about them going through a full rebuild this year. I will say this. When they had everything there, um, they had some good pieces around there, you know, and obviously things didn't go the way they wanted to. But I also was never a firm believer in who that coach was and, so I'm interested to see, you know, Gannon could come out and surprise some people this year. A lot of people are thinking that Arizona will be one of the worst teams in the league this year, which they very well well could end up being. Um, but, you know, the more more people get talked about, like you said, the more it starts to motivate some players. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see if Kyler Murray's been busy playing Call of Duty this offseason or if he's been busy working. No, he's been playing Call of Duty. He's been having a rehab. I don't even think he's allowed to even be putting weight on that leg at this point in time. Right. Just because he can't work physically don't mean he can't work mentally. That's a lot of the things that they say that gets him oh. um, is his lack of study and his lack of preparation. So, I, I mean, if it, if I'm him and, and what they're going through, you know, you want him in front of a tablet, you know, study your film, man. If nothing else, go study your film. You're, you should always be your harshest critic. You know, I know I am on myself. You know, I can't nobody be harder on me than I am. Um, so, you know. Go look for things there, you know, but he seems to me like, you know, this far in his career, and I think it's what you've heard from some of the other vets that have been around him, is he's one of the the immature ones that likes to point his fingers instead of looking at himself when things aren't going right. So we'll see. Can you change that narrative this offseason, Kyler Murray, or are you going to be somebody in a couple of years that Carson Wentz and out of the league after they got a big contract? Yes, sir. Um, moving on to like some uh, some more players. Um, Jordan Davis this year too. Um, obviously he got to pretty much red shirt the first year. He got in yeah. some snaps. Um, he had some nice plays last year, but I mean, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't dependent as a key cog. I think he was meant to be at first, but when he went down, it forced us to sign that veteran help, which took more load off of him, especially because he was coming back to that injury. And, I mean, bottom line with Jordan Davis is, and so far from what you hear is he's got to turn some of that weight into muscle, um, you know. And, of course, you know, muscle weighs more than fat. We all know that. So, um, you know, Jordan's got to turn some of that, you know, college weight and things that he had, maybe some like, you know, as, as they like to call it, your childhood tummy or whatever, you know, he needs to – bulk that up a little bit and uh you know otherwise you know we, we've got somebody ready to take snaps away from him or a few people so i mean that's that's one of the things i'm excited about with this d-line is it's not dependent on one single player like fletch could have another off year as he continues to decline into his later years of his career um you know and we don't really need him to be a productive player you know like we used to depend on you know we, if he's productive uh, I would venture to say if he's productive, almost half of his snaps, that's a win for us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, With the addition, of course, 
uh, Jalen Carter, I think it's a blessing. One, mm-hmm. um, I believe Carter is going to semi cut into the snap counts for Davis. Of course, we're going to a lot on the defensive line, but I think that's a good thing because, I mean, of course, everybody gets to stay fresh. Uh, you don't want two fresh guys that size with that athleticism. Honestly, running that. I think, I think you'll see them together a lot this year, too. Um, you know, if if Jalen can do the same things that we saw him do in college as far as moving these uh, guards just completely out of the way, we already know Jordan Davis can. We've seen him do it. You know, so you get them two uh, together in there to give, you know, Fletch a break or, or however they want to do it, and especially as a, on the running downs. I mean, goodness gracious, you know, what are you going to do? You Who do you double? Especially when you got Hassan Reddick on one side and, either Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, or, you know, whoever on the other side. And also it, there's going to be a lot of a lot of fun for our defense this year. It'll be really cool to see how Desai and the staff. And I know we held on to our defensive line coach, didn't we? I think that was one position we didn't have a movement in. Cool. Um, I'm sure hoping because he was a, um, a key cog last year. You could see how much the players, every time they were getting sacks and going over and celebrating with them, you know, like we said, that's that's more of that family element there. Yes, sir. And um, if things don't come along as fast as we don't like, as fast as we'd like to, I mean, what Howie, I believe, also made another trend last year was what has now been tapped as the mercenary contract. Yep. So when the defensive tackles got hurt last year and we got gashed by the run, we immediately went out and signed Sue and Linval Joseph. So we know those guys don't want to be here right now. They can kind of mm-hmm. hang out, make a good pay, coming in midway through the year on a team with a playoff run like we're hoping yep. for again this year. So They're uh, pros. They know what to do about now to stay in shape and to keep their body right and, you know, keep themselves so that if an NFL team does come calling, they'll be ready, you know. And so they – like you said, how he set that trend last year. Yes, sir. And, of course, uh, I'm really intrigued by that kid we got out of Texas, too, Moro Ajomo. Um, his RAS score, he scored a 8.78 out of a possible 10. And between 1987 to 2023, that's ranked 180th out of 1,472 defensive tackles in that time frame. So, wow. yeah, the kid – He's athletic, so I kind of want to see where he goes. Um, I've looked at some of his film, and, I mean, I hope this is a guy we can keep along. Um, I don't know how many episodes I got to say in a row, but I'm really expecting a huge year out of Milton Williams, especially being yep. a relatively fresh. God, he almost gets forgot about now, you know, that, that, that all the others have been added and brought in, um, you know, and that's – I think that's how he prefers it. You know, he's related to Fletch. Um, you know, so, uh, man, I, I, I'm really excited for that kid's year. I think, once again, like, we just have a plug-and-play as far as your uh, line goes. We we can literally – we got something for every situation, and I think what we did in the draft this year was also shore up that run game. Because, like I said, I expect to see a lot of Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis in the same set this year. Um Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe they won't put them together, you know, but I expect to see it. Yes, sir. Um, 
I just lost my train of thought. A guy I am <laughs> going to tap to finally break out. Finally break out. Okay. Derek Barnett, I pray this is your year. Okay, that's a that's a shot that you're calling right there. I mean, he's another forgotten man. I mean, everybody – I mean, I just read an article the other day. They're expecting him to possibly be one of the casualties uh, of training camp, you yeah. know, because we're so deep and have so much depth. Um, I remember him when we drafted him as the leading sack man at Tennessee, uh, broker and set a record, you know. So he's got the talent. It, it's, you know, and I don't think – we've ever had as talented as a line as we did last year um, as far as the depth. We've had the talent, obviously, when we won the Super Bowl, we had a dang talented defensive line as well. But as far as the depth goes and the ability to just play so many different fronts, I mean, think about that. You could potentially, with the five-man fronts this year on a run defense, see Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, and Jalen Carter, or Milton Williams, or – Tuiatapoto, you know, I mean, there's really, they have so much. So it'll be interesting to see who does make the 53 man and how much of that defensive line does make the cut. Uh, but I'm I'm with you, man. I, I hope you're right on this shot about Derek Barnett, brother, because we've been waiting for it for a long time. And I think the majority of us have kind of thrown it into the basket. Uh, the direction I'm heading towards with Quez, I might give him this one last year because I like the smoke I'm hearing come out of it. I mean, honestly, it's kind of like – actually, I think it literally is his contract year, but his window is also closing. He's 26 years old. Yeah. I mean, he broke Reggie White's career sack uh, record at University of Tennessee, as you mentioned. So not everyone agrees that his days are numbered in Philly. Um, I've seen Derek Gunn say we're not ready to give up on him, um, doesn't believe the book is written on him. Um, yeah, I mean, he's had 21 and a half sacks through 65 NFL games, 45 starts. So, I mean, and I just seen uh, Slay actually tweet something about him earlier this year, uh, earlier today, pretty much stamping his endorsement back on him, um, giving him a boat of confidence. So, I mean, if he doesn't show out this year, it's kind of like, are you just going to be a journeyman for the rest of your career? Literally, this is the year right. you put up or shut up. Um, coming off of your contract and actually earning a huge payday because this is something he certainly could do. And if it does ultimately end up where he performs out of world and ends up leaving Philly, at least leave us with that parting gift for that compensation pick. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, hey, man, you know, what better year than this year? It's, you know, and that's the one thing that if he he's really got it, you know, it's going to be tough for him to stand out. Um, but with the defensive fronts that they'll see and the inability to match up in other places, he will get his chance, you know? So, I mean, who knows? Could we get a double digit sack here from Derek Barnett? You know, I, I opposed would, would not be opposed to it. I'd love to see it. Um, you know, sweaty Jay. That's just, I mean, it's just another tool in our belt and just another reason why you can't sleep first through third down. Uh, anytime you drop back to pass on our defense. Yep. And honestly, I mean, if we, uh, let's see, cut him after June 1st, it's only going to save us 700K. He's an inexpensive player um, at 3.1 million. So 
honestly, I think it's worth keeping him and see seeing him tap into that potential. And I mean, with him being hurt, how many games did he play last year? I don't even think he played one, did he? He got hurt in training camp, I'm pretty sure. And interesting. Think if we added that guy, we set a franchise record for 70 sacks last year. Right, right. And you know he's good for at least a couple now. I mean, my lasting impression with him right now is just when – I know you remember the game. He had got another one of his personal foul penalties, and they caught Sirianni on a hot mic saying, God, it's always him. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I wonder how much favor he does have with the head of the staff. But, I mean, obviously, if he had fallen completely out of favor with Nick, he wouldn't still be keeping him, especially after they had the opportunity to dump him after last year. Yeah, and just the, of course – Emphasis we put on the D-line, I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, right. So, Jordan Davis, year two, we expect a lot from him. Um, expect, of course, Jalen Carter to cut into the snap counts for Davis. Obviously, there's a plethora of different lineups at Shine Decide's disposal that he can use and keep people fresh. Um, I just can't wait to see what kind of uh, lineups we put out there at the D-line the coverages, the disguises with all the different coaches we have, Matt Patricia, Sean Desai, uh, and those assistants that we have. It's a lot of experience. And again, Sean Desai is only really tapping into his experience, which is crazy. And I mean, one of the things that's been said about our staff, especially, I mean, as of last year and the year before was how young it is. So what better tool for, you know, I mean, think about it. Our head coach is in his third year of coaching, getting ready to start his third season of being a head coach. He's still very young and very inexperienced. Now, of course, he's got more experience than some coaches have in a lifetime going to the Super Bowl last year. Uh, but, you know, he's still, you know, and that's another thing I love about Nick is he's still reaching. I mean, he's going to grow and the Eagles are going to continue to grow with him. Uh, you know, and then we have, you know, Brian Johnson. He's a first-year offensive coordinator as far as the NFL goes. So to have that experience in the room um, or at least in the meetings to have these guys where you can sit back and say from what they've experienced and just their experience in the league like you caught on to. I mean, there's Patricia's experience with the AFC East. You don't think he's not going to be in um, the size of ear this year, telling him before the weeks come what certain formations do. And, you know, like, you know, especially with the Patriots when, you know, their wide receiver motions or something, what, what that potentially means, there's only two or three plays that, that could be coming off of that. Um, you know, so how well has Bilicek changed his offense over the years? You know, so that it's just, it's an exciting thing to see as far as that situation goes. Um, and man, shout out to you for doing the deep dive that you did on these coordinators. Most most of your casual fans could probably not even tell you who these guys were um, or name them. And I'll even give you the benefit of today. I did not know as much as I did about these guys as I have sitting here with you. Drew, there there was a lot of guys I didn't know a lot about this morning. Then I was just diving, finishing up the notes for this episode we're doing tonight. It was just like, okay, wow. That's some intriguing people that we've added. Just learning right. from experiences, the coaches we're pulling from, how everybody evidently went to Temple or – Right, pulling from our hometown <laughs> like that. You know, pull, pulling from Philadelphia and getting the minds of, of people who have been around the city. So, you know, this isn't going to be 
a culture shock for any of these guys. I think the things like you've heard Gannon and some of the people that have come and gone have said is it is, it's a culture shock. The, you know, our city truly cares about everything. We care about OTAs. I mean, look at how much traction it's gotten. And I mean, I spent a good five minutes talking about how important it was that these guys are all working together right now when they don't have to, you know, hell Jalen just got his master's degree and just got paid. He could be, you know, living it up somewhere right now, but that just speaks to the embodiment of, of his character. But no, he's in the lab, man. You know, you ain't, you ain't got to worry about where our guys are at. And I think that's maybe what you saw that we didn't have with the previous regime. Um, Dougie P was very much a player's coach. Uh, I think if you remember, I don't know if it was the same offseason we won the Super Bowl or not, but Nelson Aguilar got involved in that club incident with the Wizards player. Um, you know, so these guys, it's not like they don't go out and party at all and all they do is work now. But it's nice to know that, you know, when the rest of us are all finishing up our summer vacation or, you know, getting ready to get our summers in and get our vacation going, these guys are working, man. You know, and for them, it's literally the end of their time where they can be doing this and they can be spending time with their family and spending time out on the road and sightseeing and things like that. And instead, they're working and working together. You know, it's not that they're, oh, I'm going to get up and do my individual workouts at home. No, it's we're going to get out. We're going to go do this together, get some passes in, which is only going to help, you know, when they get into these championship game and the Super Bowl situations. You know, maybe that helps Quez make the catch that we're all on him about not making last year that could have changed the game. Yes, sir. Um, one of the last players I wanted to focus on before we focus on like a group of people, just kind of like with projections. Um, Nolan Smith, he just signed his uh, rookie deal, four years, $11.99 million. I want to say that was yesterday I seen that come across. Um, so six or seven other rookies have been signed. Um, Khalid Ringo remains the only one unsigned. So as far as like Nolan Smith, what do you think his role for the rookie season is going to be? Are we going to see him more rush the passer? Or are we going to more see him in run support? Because, I mean, he did an excellent job of both at Georgia. But he could also be sort of red-shirted because, I mean, we have a lot of edge rushers. Right. I think, uh, man, to answer your question, I think it's going to depend on your uh, pick-to-click this year. You know, I, I think Derek Barnett's going to depend on a lot of that. Josh Sweat's going to depend on a lot of And how talented he is. I mean, of course – everybody's going to look in good in highlights and on clips, but they were showing some clips of the rookie mini camp workouts that he was doing. And uh, my God, man, he's quick and he's got a quick twitch to him. Um, and it, it reminds you a lot of Hassan Reddick. So will he spell Reddick, you know, uh, in situations now also watching some of the tape that I have on him, he's not a liability in coverage. And I think maybe that's where he might be a little bit improved an improvement from somebody like Hassan, and you have to be careful saying that because, of course, Hassan's a grizzled veteran in the NFL, um, and this guy's a first year. But I think maybe coverage instincts might be somewhere that that could be an improvement. Um, but I, I, it, it depends on the players in front of him, man. Um, you know, and how if can he set himself apart? Now, if we get in the training camp, you see it every year, and there's a guy that you projected as a starter, and that guy in camp just comes in and proves that he's just better. Um, you know, so would that force us to make a move in that instance? So my prediction for him, though, so I don't take too much time on this, um, I'm going to give him a mix between a productive season and a Jordan Davis season. 
Now, I do feel I'm one of the few people that feel that Jordan Davis had as productive as we needed him to be season last year. We didn't need him to be very productive, and I don't feel that we're dependent on Nolan Smith to be um, a supreme player this year. So I'll say if he gets – I'll put his over-under at five uh, for sacks as far as that's concerned. If he gets up to five sacks this year, I'll consider that a very successful. Uh, but if I was a betting man, I would probably bet the under on five. Um you know, and I could very much see it being a redshirt season, more like Nicobe Dean, where he doesn't get on the field much at all because of somebody like Derek Barnett, um, you know, or Josh Sweat or Hassan Reddick himself taking up most of the snaps. Yeah, don't forget about BG out there, man. Brandon Graham. You know, I mean, <laughs> think about that. I, I mean, Brandon Graham is somebody that you can't forget in the last 20 years of Philadelphia Eagles football. And it's easy to, like, you start listing the people off the top of your head to be productive on this defense. Brandon Graham had over 10 sacks last year, man. (laughs) So it's not like he was just somebody that, oh, he had six, seven sacks. He had a pretty good year. He's old. He's declined. Like, no. The man had, like, what, he finished with 11 and a half sacks and something last year? Uh, I mean – I am really interested to see, but you already know, and I feel that's the unfortunate part of the job that Sean Desai steps into, because if there is fallback, if there is drawback, he's going to be the one that has to wear the blame for that. Um, You know how the city of Philadelphia works, but I will say we've been dying for the days of the Jim Johnson defense. And what I do remember about those days in the Jim Johnson defense is there was a lot of Philly based cats as far as coaches and things go in his secondary unit. Um, and so what we've been doing with Temple and partnering, it almost seems like with their entire staff, um, you know, it, it, I'm very, very, as I had to say, I'll probably say this at least 50 times an episode, but I'm, man, I, I can't wait. I wish they were kicking it off this weekend. <laughs> A defensive line uh, lineup I'm hoping to see. We have uh, – Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter on one side, Reddick and Nolan on the other side. Or BG or Sweat or Barnett. Like, yeah. I just want to see pure power on one side, pure speed on the other side. And let's just oh, yeah, figure it out. Think about that. <laughs> and then and then if you go, if you go with a NASCAR package off of that, I mean you te- you technically could have Reddick, BG. Uh, both men in an inside position and put Nolan Smith and, you know, whoever else on the other side, sweat, <laughs> you know, and you can do the the NASCAR front that way. And then, you know, think about the five man, you know, we're going to see that a lot this year. There's going to be a lot of five man fronts because I love to run that five too. So, you know, or at least from what I've seen about the size film. And then, you know, we ran a lot of it last year that people don't realize. So you throw in, you know, I mean, whether it's Cox, Milton, Williams, and Davis, Cox, Milton, Williams, and Carter, Cox, Carter, and Davis, Williams, you know, Carter, and Davis. It does, man, they're, it's just, it's endless. And then you're forgetting Tuyata Poto, which he's shown in the few times that he's played for us. has shown he can be, a, especially in run defense. He's a hoss out there, you know, and, and I'm not as worried about our defensive line as I am maybe about, I, I don't know if you've caught it, man, and this may go a little bit off topic here, so reel me back in if you need to. Um, but I don't know if you've caught what Jason Kelsey was saying about Isaac Sayamalu 
Um, he doesn't think it's going to be so easy to replace him as a right guard. And, you know, Jurgens or whoever steps into that role is going to have some big shoes to fill. He says he's the smartest player that he's ever played with. And, I mean, I know players do the the parting handshake things. But, you know, Jason Kelsey, he doesn't seem much like the type of guy that's going to sugarcoat it. If he didn't have something nice to say about you, he probably just wouldn't talk about you. Um, but he's not going to go give that stamp on his podcast like he did about somebody um, that maybe Eagles fans are taking it for granted as, as easy to replace. For sure. Um, last thing I want to leave our listeners with, the thing I'm concerned about is our running back room. Who do you think comes out as, like, the leader? Because Sirianni's always had, like, a RB. It's, it is set up for Swift. It is – this is, and I love what they've done in this aspect because right now we've got two of them that it's like a – it's a, hey, who wants their contract? Who wants to stay in the NFL? You know, that's basically what we have is, is what, what I would think would be our top two guys. But I was just reading an article the other day. Don't sleep on Kenny G becoming that at all. You know, he, he proved in the playoffs last year that when he gets handed the, the majority of the touches, he can do something with it. You know, especially when you add in the difference between him and Hurts now. Hertz isn't as fast as a guy. He's more of a bulk, and he's going to put a pain on you. And it's weird to say coming from a quarterback's perspective, but Hertz is a strong dude, you know. And so if you put two bruisers in that backfield together, like with Penny, you don't have – you lose an element of speed, and, and you make yourself just a tiny bit easier to defend. Well, now we have two guys that can absolutely, once they get ahead of steam going, are just hard to catch, and that's Keenan Gainwell and Swift. You know, so what I love about it is the top two guys you would think of, it's a prove-it year for them. Um, and that's how that's set up. Rather than, you know, the difference had we assigned Miles back was paying a running back a healthy, you know, healthy salary, and he knows he's got the job and doesn't have to work as hard. Or, you know, you're obviously not going to pay a guy 4 or $5 million a year to, you know, be the backup running back. Um, so I love what they've done there. I, my my sleeper prediction, I hate to even say it's a sleeper, but I'd love to see Kenny Gainwell take the reins of the backfield and prove he's the, that he's the back that we need him to be. My inkling tells me that Swift is about to have a resurgence in the year that maybe everybody's been expecting him to have. All right. We're going to get more into the backfield on our next episode. Um, so, again, Infinity Link, everything Philadelphia Eagles related. Informative episode. Drew, Don, um, we're going to put together some more notes and come out with another episode for y'all. Uh, I mean, and again, we appreciate everyone that listens. Yes, sir. Hey, Don, let me grab you real quick on this. I know we probably are getting close on time. I heard a rumor today that I will absolutely die if it comes true. Carson Wentz is a backup possibility for not only the Green Bay Packers, but the Dallas Cowboys. I love to hear it. <laughs> I will die. Uh, and I, t- I told one of my friends who's a Cowboys fan today, I said, watch him go re- revive his career there. I will be mad as hell. 